0: thinking before i came out here i didn't really have a story but i one popped in my head uh when i was a teenager probably senior in high school or so my brother six years younger me and him used to go out to mckellar g- golf uh course a lot anybody remember mckellar in Whitehaven? the airport bought it and it's just a, a big field now i don't know but it used to be a golf course out there and we used to play there all the time i was I was playing on the golf team, and I was teaching Heath how to play and you know <laughs> my mama raised some wild kids i 'm telling you we but but golf was it was cityifying us you know what i 'm saying it was teaching us some etiquette because you know golf there 's rules out there you don 't just yell and and scream and jump up now while people are putting and you don 't hit into folks you know ahead of you and all these there's rules in this golf thing, so it was teaching us some things and so mama wanted to go one time with us she had never played golf some of y'all know my mama <laughs> I didn't know if that was a good idea but you, you also know that if you know my mama you can't tell my mama no and so she decided to go with us and we said oh it's a family outing all three of us out here and so on the first hole we hit our drives me and Heath hit them down there and she kind of dribbled one because she this is her first time you know we waiting on her and uh we wait on her to hit the second. We wait on her. We scooted up a few feet and waited on her to hit the third. One, you know, and and so we made our way down to where we finally got to where our first ball was, and the people behind us, I guess they're thinking, oh, we're gonna have to be behind this lady. So they went ahead and hit before we even me and Heath he even hit our second shots. And so the ball comes dribbling up, you know, right at our feet, and I, I said. Kind of to myself, a little bit out loud, I said, they better watch it. They're going to hit us. You know, that's that's not the rules. <laughs> that's, not how you, that's not the golf etiquette. You're supposed to wait, you know. My mama says, is that right? Is that, they're, not spo- they're supposed to wait? I said, yeah, they're not supposed to hit up on us like that. So we hit our next shot, went up there. Same thing. Their, their balls come rolling past us. And so I'm saying, well, this ain't right. And we go ahead and hit our next shot up on the green. And we're on the green, and one of their balls come landing on the green. Now, I'm mad about it. You know, I wanted to say something, but y'all don't know my mama. My mama threw her clubs up in the air and went back down that first green the way she came, and she told them people what was up in some expressive languages that I couldn't... It might have been tongues. I don't know, because I didn't... There was some some language going on that I didn't even understand. And there's times... In my history growing up with my mom, that I may have denied that I was part of the family. <laughs> I, I I may have said, I don't know this woman, you know. And there's times that I, I, I wouldn't write my last name down or something. You know, there was times. But since I've met Jesus... And since I've been adopted into a new family, remember that scripture, Romans 8, 15, says we've been adopted into a new family and and we call him Abba. I've got a new daddy now. There's not, I don't really recall being embarrassed or ashamed of my new family. In fact, I was so happy about the new family that uh, I always tell everybody I got saved. Saved. Now, I don't know how to explain what that means, but just when you say it twice, it makes it bigger. I got saved, saved. I didn't just get saved and kind of had a toe in. No, I got all in. I was excited about my new family. And as you can probably tell, I haven't been very reserved myself when it comes to telling people about Jesus. I am not ashamed of this new family that I live in. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five you want to go ahead and turn it, turn there. I'm going to call tonight's message a snare, a snare. I'm not talking about a drum on the drum kit. I'm talking about something else. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord, shall be safe. What does it mean, the fear of man? Wondering what they think all the time? Wondering if they're thinking bad of me? What would they do if I did this? The fear, it'll paralyze you. Fear itself is a paralyzing force. It keeps you from doing what you ought to do. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith goes right ahead and does what it ought to. But the fear of man brings a snare. And I looked up the definition of snare, and it talked about a, a trap. You know, you may lay for a bird, a snare, or something like that. But it also says something deceptively attractive could be a snare. Then it says something by which one is entangled, involved in difficulties, or impeded. So the fear of man could get you entangled. It could... Get you in some difficulties, and it can impede you from doing what you ought to do because it's deceptively attractive. The fear of man. Why why does Proverbs, the book of wisdom, warn us about being afraid of what other people think? We're going to talk about Pontius Pilate for a moment. You know, he was the Roman governor in Jerusalem at the time, and he was the one that condemned... uh, Jesus to be crucified. But it's a very interesting story. You know, it's in all four Gospels, but, uh, you know, just reading in, I think, John 18, 19, mostly, I was able to pull out some points from the story where Jesus interacted with Pontius Pilate during his trial and such. Some very interesting things that I think we could could learn about uh, the fear of man. Pontius Pilate, first of all, he was in a difficult situation as the governor of Jerusalem because he was Romans and the Romans had, you know, taken over the Jewish territory, but it was mostly Jerusalem was filled with Jews. And how many knows from looking at the past, uh, the Bible, that the Jewish people can be kind of difficult and they've got particular ways and. Uh, They're kind of strange sometimes. So he had a difficult situation trying to be the Roman leader in mostly Jewish population. And so when they brought him Jesus, uh, he could tell right off that it was because they were jealous. Because he said, why don't y'all judge him with your own laws? You know, y'all got your own courts. Why don't y'all judge him? Well, our courts... Our law won't let us execute him. So they went ahead and told what was up in their mind. They, they revealed their heart right there. And Pontius Pilate could tell that they were just jealous of Jesus. But he brings Jesus back into the room. And he begins to talk to Jesus. And Jesus is quiet, not talking much. Uh, Jesus begin, you know, he says, uh What are you back here for? And he's asking him, pelting him with these questions. And Jesus isn't answering too much. he said, and uh, he finally says, uh, don't you know I have the power to release you or to crucify you? He's trying to intimidate Jesus. And and Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all if it weren't given to you from above. And uh, so Pilate says, so you are a king. And he said, yep. But my kingdom is not from here. If it were you know, then my people would fight. But the people who follow me follow the truth. Amen? Well, Pontius Pilate, he says, famously says, what is truth? And and he's staring at the Word of God when he says it. You know, Jesus is called the Word of God. Jesus is the way and the truth. And it's funny that... Pontius Pilate is a judge, but he can't see the truth standing before him. And many times, we well, we think, well, I wouldn't have done that. But this is the Word of God, and some people claiming to be Christians look into it, and they say, well, I believe that, but I don't like the way that reads. I, I'm fuzzy on that. I, I don't believe my God would be like that. I don't believe my God would say that. And they begin to make their own truth. Is that true? He was looking at the word of God, making his decision. We look at the word of God and we make our decision. So as we look at Pontius Pilate here, some people later on, they're like, I think Pontius Pilate was a pretty good guy. He was just in a bad situation, you know. Because they understand that uh, we have the same propensity to do the things that Pontius Pilate did, if we're not careful. Have you ever thought about what you would do in Pontius Pilate's situation? You've got everybody looking to you. You're supposed to make the ruling. You're supposed to make the call. Anyway, by admitting that he had the power to either crucify him or let him go, when he was trying to intimidate Jesus, he is also putting himself in a position to say that it's his responsibility isn't he and isn't it our responsibility to make our decision about Jesus? can we put that off on somebody else well my my uncle he was a pastor and I'm pretty sure Jesus is the truth if he was the pastor <laughs> you know, and I'm sure I'll go because he was my uncle you know i'm I'm going to heaven. No. It's it's kind of strange that a that a human judge that's got the truth right in front of him but doesn't recognize a confused human judge will then judge the judge of all the universe the righteous judge of all the universe. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We're confused humans. And we make judgments. Pilate's wife had warned him in a dream. She said, I had a dream about this guy. Don't do nothing to him. Just let him go. Let him go. So Pilate was wanting to side with Jesus. You can see he's, you know, he's kind of roughing Jesus up a little bit in his talk or whatever, but you can tell he's kind of siding with the guy. He don't see anything wrong with him. He knows the Jews are just jealous. But what he does is instead of, Being a man and going out there and saying, I I don't find anything wrong with him in the end. He has Jesus flogged to try to appease the people. And that's wrong. I mean, it was easy for him to say, yeah, have him flogged real quick. But I think it was a little bit more difficult for Jesus to endure than it was for him to say. It was a big deal for Jesus. He's just trying to appease the people. So he has him flogged and then he brings him out and he says, all right, we've had him flogged, you know, let's let him go. And he, and he, and the, the Romans had a, a custom, you know, always trying to appease the Jewish people to, to keep them happy. Once a year they would let a prisoner go, just Whether he's guilty or not, you just choose one. We're going to let him go just to show you. Isn't that the kind of justice we have these days? Just make it up as you go along. But anyway, we got, we got, why don't we just let this king of the Jews go? He's trying to get Jesus because he don't see anything wrong in him. And he's got this bad premonition. He's got this bad feeling. His wife has had this dream. He knows it ain't right. He knows that Jesus is innocent. And he don't want his blood on his hands, so he says, "Why don't we just give you Jesus, or, or let Barabbas go?" Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas had been in a riot and had killed people, and he wasn't a good guy at all. And he said, "No." Uh, Pilate said, "Why don't we let Jesus go?" But they said, "No, we want the Barabbas. We want Barabbas." And he says, "Well, what, what, what shall we do with your king?" And you know what they yelled. Crucify him! Crucify him! The crowds wanted Jesus dead, and they still do today. The crowds still want Jesus dead today. They don't want any mention of his name. You get a big crowd of unbelievers together, and you poll them, you're gonna get an overwhelming majority that said, "I wish Jesus was never been here. I wish I would never heard that name. I wish y'all would stop talking about him." And they would shout crucify him if they could but that's just further proof that this pilot is compromising i counted three times in john 18 and 19 during the course of the conversation with the you know the jews the the religious leaders who were having Jesus killed, they had gathered a crowd and they had stirred up the crowd to yell crucify him and to select Barabbas instead of Jesus. And they were manipulating the crowd. And while they were there, I counted three times that the judge, the the Roman governor, said, I find this man innocent. Now I don't know what kind of court of law they had back in those days, but I would suspect today if the judge says the man's innocent, that's the end of the story. If the judge declares he's innocent, I don't know if something was wrong with Pilate's gavel. (laughs) But he kept declaring that he was innocent, but he kept the conversation going. And he's letting the people dictate the courtroom. And he, he declares it three times. But then they threatened his patriotism. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And if you let this man live declaring himself to be a king, then you're no friend of Caesar. And we I, I don't know what to say about that, but we got to be careful here in America today that we don't let our patriotism trump our faith in Christ. Because a lot of people, when, when it comes down to it, are you trusting in a political system? Are you trusting in Jesus? Is he first place or is your candidate first place? And sometimes it's like I see people work harder for a political campaign than they do ever do for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 15:15. 15, 15, sums it up, says, So Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd. Gratify meaning like ingratiate himself with the crowd. Wanting to please the crowd. See, that's what it all come down to. The whole thing was he was trying to please the crowd. He was trying to compromise, appease, do what he had to do to make himself look good. So Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd released Barabbas to them and he delivered Jesus after he had him scourged, to be crucified. He bowed to the pressure to please the crowd. And then he went and he got a bowl of water. and He washed his hands, like symbolizing that he was innocent of this man's blood. Well, he had been a little reluctant to have him crucified, but is being reluctant to kill an innocent man, (laughs) does that count? He had done it anyway. He had said himself that he has the power to release or crucify. You know, the right thing to do is almost never easy. But it's still always the right thing to do. may not be popular, but we weren't called to win any popularity contest. My Bible, Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. When we do the right thing for Jesus, those crowds, they're going to turn on us. You'll suffer persecution. In this world, you shall suffer tribulation and persecution. You ever thought about Jesus' just reception when he came to earth? John 1.10 says he came to the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. What is truth? Who are you? He came to his own people and even they rejected him. John 12:42 says many people did believe in him including some of the Jewish leaders but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They worried about getting kicked out of the synagogue and the temple of God standing in front of them. They care more about their membership than they do God himself. They didn't recognize Jesus when they come. They, They rejected him, and those who did believe in him weren't willing to even give up their church membership to follow him. One of the main Pharisees, Nicodemus, he was a teacher of religious law, a Pharisee. And he was uh, one of the head guys there and the thing. And even he came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He came at night. For fear of what? He didn't want to be seen in the daytime talking to Jesus. He didn't want to have to deal with what his buddies, the other Pharisees, had to say. He had questions. He was interested but he wanted to do it on the sly. You know, when we're at the jailhouse, a lot of times I'll give an altar call and I'll have them bow their head. You know what an altar call is? An invitation to come to Christ. um, Come down to the altar kind of thing and make a, give your life to Jesus. And I'll have them bow their head and close their eyes. And you've got to understand, some of these guys... Or at the end of their rope. I mean, they have messed their life up so bad. Some of them looking at 20 years. Some of them have lost everything that they have. Smoked everything that they had. Stolen from every relative they had. Their whole life is just in ruins. And they finally get to this place. And somebody tells them the truth. And the light comes on. Man, and you can see it in their eyes as you're preaching. But when they bow their heads. And you tell them to raise their hand if they want Jesus to be their Lord. They start looking around. They may do like this. And they get all embarrassed. The fear of man. fear of what their buddy's going to say. And so, they raise their hand and I say, okay, you guys that raise your hand, stand to your feet. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Some of them are willing to do that, but they weren't willing to stand for Jesus. And then in old days, I'd try to... Coax them into it. Come on now, you raised your hand, and I'll go back into the message again. And it would almost be like I was begging them to take a stand for Jesus, and they just wouldn't. But I don't do that anymore. I don't beg. Maybe they hadn't hit bottom yet. Luke nine twenty six says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, this is what Jesus said, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory, and in the glory of the Father, and of the holy angels. We shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus. Why are we so scared about what people think? Shouldn't it be the opposite? We're scared about what the people think. But it's like we don't care what God thinks. Matthew 10.28 says. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. There's one fear that counsels the rest of them. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. A lot of people, you know, have taken the word fear in the Bible when it pertains to God, when it says the fear of the Lord and stuff, and they have tried to soften it, you know, and say it doesn't really mean a shaking in your boots type of fear. You know, it means a reverent awe. And it means that, it means the reverend all, that you have a healthy respect for the holy things of God, but it also means you should be shaken in your boots. If God came in here right now, you'd be shaking in your boots. There would be a real fear of God. All right, James 4.4 4 says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of god when you side with the crowds yelling crucify him when you care more about fitting in with them than you do with jesus you make yourself an enemy of god you're you're an adulterer you have asked him to be the lord of your life you've entered into a covenant relationship like a marriage But then you cheat on him when you do that. He says, i say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, then you make yourself an enemy of God. What do I mean by the world? What does this mean? It doesn't mean, you know, well, we're in the world right now. What do you mean? It means the world's way of doing things. The world without Christ. The the little G God of this world is the devil. And his way of doing things. His uh, M.O., his kingdom down here on the earth when you make your friend friendship with him instead of with god you're an adulterer and you're an enemy of god do you think that the scriptures have no meaning they say that god is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him he has put his spirit in us He's given us a new spirit to replace that old spirit that was naturally rebellious to God. We have a new spirit now. We belong to a new family. And this spirit should help us overcome that old flesh that was had the fear of man. Now we should fear God. Now we should want to do the things of God. We should live in the spirit of God that he's given us. It means he's jealous for us. He don't understand. What did I say Sunday? Something about Jesus don't like excuses and he still don't, you know? He, he, he don't understand. When he has given everything, he has done his part of the covenant. His part is established and is finished. And He's wanting to activate. He's wanting to love. He's wanting to come into your life and give you your heart's desire and bring you to heights that you could never know to help you reach your full potential in this life to to live out who you are but you're in friendship with the world and you're with these and you think you got to please these people over here you're more concerned with pleasing some people over here that are dragging you down than you are with god, pleasing god and some of us got more friends in the world than we do in the church And we want to spend time with them more than we want to spend time with God. And the biggest reason we don't even witness, I don't even know the exact figure, you know, but probably about 2%, I don't know, maybe 10% of professing Christians have ever led anybody to Jesus. A small, small minuscule amount of people have ever even taken the time to do anything with this word of life that they've been entrusted with. It's the Great Commission. It should be number one priority in our life because it's the number one priority of Jesus. is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And there's something wrong when when they get saved over in China. In the underground church, when there's persecution, the first thing they do is hop up and go tell all their friends at the risk of death. But over here in America, we're so comfortable. And it's so, it's like a social club. I might go to church and I might not. Depends on how I feel. I'm going to stay up late Saturday and see if I feel like getting up Sunday. Sunday. I might tell that person if if just the right time, you know, if just the right thing happens, and they ask me about Jesus, I might tell them. God's been laying it on your heart to talk to this person for years. The biggest reason we don't witness is because of the fear of man. We're worried about what they're going to think about us. And who are we? Who are we? You know, at least Peter denied Jesus for fear of physical harm. At least you could say, well, he thought he was going to die if he didn't. But what is our excuse? The last I checked, I don't know of anybody in America that's gotten shot or killed for witnessing. For telling somebody about Jesus. Jesus. It's human pride. It's human pride. Just like the people in the jail and many other, They don't have to be in a jail. That just ends up where a lot of them are. But people won't come to Jesus until they hit rock bottom. Because they're holding on to some kind of pride. I don't need no help. I don't want nobody to help me. And the people that that don't believe in Jesus, one of the things is they talk about Christians, oh, they need a crutch. They just need something to believe in. Absolutely we do. How do, how do we see ourselves in this equation? <laughs> the audacity of us as broken human beings seeing ourselves of the God of our own world. That's kind of crazy thinking. That we wouldn't come to the God who died on the cross for us and ask for help. It's really mind boggling. Quite simply, the person we want to please most is self. You've heard it said that we must live for an audience of one. But that one is not self, yourself. It is Jesus. Didn't, I, didn't uh, on the Christmas sermon, didn't I tell you the meaning of life? Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and through him and for him, including us. But I guess we look into the, to the word of God and say, hmm, what is truth? So how do we defeat this fear of man, this human pride and this love of self? You know, sometimes I got to stop. Because I preach this stuff so hard, man. I can see some of y'all's hairs blowed back, you know. You're like, what's he going to say next, you know? I, I preach this stuff so hard. Sometimes it almo, it would almost make me sound self-righteous, like I've got it together and you don't. And I, don't, I just want to stop and say that ain't the case. That ain't the case at all. I think we all deal with these feelings. I don't think there's a one of us, before we go witness to somebody, don't have to deal with putting self under. And don't have a little fear about what somebody's going to think and have baggage from our past and this old man popping up and say, don't do it, don't do it for fear of self-preservation in some sort of way. I'm not saying that anybody has arrived, okay? But I'm just trying to help you see how preposterous it is, our our way of thinking as humans. So that it, it will help you to break through that and stop being a slave to fear. See, the truth is, fear is not real. You can break right through it. It's a fog. Ninety-nine times out of hundred, the thing that you're at home crying about, thinking your kids didn't had a wreck or something, it hadn't happened. Fear is. It doesn't help anybody. Who by worry can add one cubit to your stature? And some people profess that I'm a professional warrior. A warrior. Not a warrior. A warrior. I am a professional warrior, warrior, Worrier. Worrier. We take pride in our worry. But it's actually the opposite of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Where was I at? So how do we defeat the fear of man, human pride, and the love of self? We kill it at the cross. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Paul was still alive when he said it. (laughs) It means that that old man, he's put it under we must consider, contemplate, and calculate the price of the cross. I'm going to say that again. I'm telling you how to overcome fear and how to put self under. You've got to consider what happened at the cross. you got to contemplate, who would do that for me? And you've got to calculate the price that was paid. For you John 12:32 says Jesus says if I am lifted up from the earth I will draw all people to me how come he was lifted up and all people are not drawn because all people are not seeing it he means that I'm lifted up and people see me lifted up if they understood why I was up there if they considered contemplated and calculated why I was up there, it would radically change every thought in their head. It is at the cross that everything changes. Apostle Paul, talking about how he preaches in 1 Corinthians two one, says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified. The King James, I I, I, I wasn't going to preach anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was going to stay with the crucifixion. That's all it takes. Everything from there on is gravy. But you got to get the crucifixion. you got to get the cross. It is the pivot point upon everything in which we believe. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit, and I did so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And I'm here to tell you, the power of God is at the cross. The power of God is in the cross. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their old sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. See, he took away your sins at the at the cross, and you gotta you gotta take your old passions and desires that caused you to live that sinful life, and you gotta nail them to his cross. Back in the day when they would crucify somebody, they would write his sins on a piece of paper, and they would nail it to his cross so the people walking by could see why they were being crucified. The only thing they could think to write on Jesus' cross was, here is Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. That was his sin to them, that he called himself the King of the Jews. And he was the King of the Jews. And he is the King of the Jews. And he is the King of everybody else. The Romans and the Medes and the Persians, he is the King of kings. But he had no sin to post up there. But he's saying, you need to write your old sinful ways down, your old sinful way of thinking. You need to nail it to his cross, and you need to crucify it there, and you need to walk in the newness of life. You need to walk like he walked. You need to take up your cross daily and follow him. That means it's a daily activity to take up that cross. The burden of that cross, the weight of that cross, and carry it to this generation. There's work to do. We're not here, people without a cause. That would describe most of the churches rebels without a cause. But oh, is there not a cause? There is. Nicodemus, he was wanting to believe. He was trying to believe. I think even his intellectual senses was saying, that's the truth. That man's the truth. Things he told me about spiritual stuff. Jesus told him, man, you're a leader of the people and you don't know this stuff. Jesus blew his mind. In about a 10 minute conversation, Nicodemus, after that, they had a Pharisees meeting and they were trying to condemn Jesus and Nicodemus, you know, still not got all in, maybe got a toe in the water. He said, y'all think it's right that we condemn a man without even giving him a chance to speak, you know, without even hearing him? They said, what are you, uh, Nicodemus, you're one of his followers now? He shut right back up. Uh, Scared to confess Jesus. I think that's why Jesus makes us say it out loud, to confess with your mouth. The Lord Jesus. That's why I don't make it so easy for people to get saved. I don't beg them and come do it for them. I think you got to take a step towards God. Nicodemus on the fence here. Wanting to believe. Scared to believe. Don't know what to do until he saw. Jesus on the cross. You see, it was on the cross that Nicodemus must have made up his mind because before that he was keeping silent. He wasn't following. He was only coming at nighttime. Had a toe in. But after the cross and Jesus, he saw Jesus up there, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He saw the love that was hanging on that cross. Maybe it even entered into his mind that maybe he's up there for my sins. Maybe this is the son of God. Because Nicodemus was no fool. He He had learned the Scriptures from an early age. He must have saw Isaiah 53. says he was a man of sorrows and rejected. He was bruised for our iniquities and wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we were healed. He knew, maybe somewhere deep down inside, he knew that Jesus was the suffering servant that the Scriptures talked about. But then he saw it. He saw Jesus high and lifted up. And it drew his heart. And it says that after Jesus died, him and Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, went to Pilate. And they asked, could they get his body and bury it? And Joseph provided his own tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And it says Nicodemus bought 75 pounds worth of aloes, anointment, and stuff to put to embalm Jesus' body. And they went and got Jesus' body down. And Nicodemus, from that point on, He didn't care what anybody else saw. He had saw Jesus high and lifted up. And he contemplated it. And calculated it. And said, wow. This changes everything. I don't care what anybody has to say. If my God is for me, who can be against me? If I'm on the winning team, what does it matter? I'm not afraid of what anybody says. St. Teresa of Avila says, Reflect carefully on this. For it is so important that I can hardly lay too much stress on it. She says, fix your eyes on the crucified Jesus. And nothing else will be much of importance to you. Woe to the church that doesn't preach the cross. We lose sight of who we are. Not just, not just on Resurrection Sunday, not just on Good Friday, but the cross is central to our love for our Savior. We got to remember the cross in the garden in Mark 1450 when they were coming to get Jesus. It says that all the disciples deserted him and ran away. You mean these disciples that had seen him raise the dead, walk on the water, feed five thousand with a, a happy meal? You mean they ran away? Yep. In verse fifty-one it says, one young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt, something what they would normally sleep in. And when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. That's in. That's only found in. In Mark, in the gospel of Mark, it's almost like thrown in there. It's so thrown in there, so random that it doesn't even really fit with the rest of the story. It doesn't tell why he was ran away naked, why they told that. Some people think that it was Mark who wrote the gospel, was saying he was the young boy. And that was just a, his way of making it right, to confess to it. I don't know. But he's naked, and he's running from Jesus. And then I think about King David. He's so in love with God and so on fire for God, he's dancing himself naked before the Ark of the Covenant. He's dancing so hard his clothes are flying. And he's coming through Jerusalem and his wife, he's the king now. And he's out there making a crazy dance. And his wife, uh, Michael, looks down. She says, oh, you are making a fool out yourself. You're supposed to be the king, and you're looking so undignified. He said, i tell you what, woman, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm willing to lay it all out for Jesus. I'll dance out all these clothes for Jesus. (laughs) Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we are accountable. Are you going to be naked running from him or are you going to be naked running to him? He knows. He knows your heart. (laughs) Have you examined your heart? What would you do in Pilate's shoes when all these people are yelling the one thing? They're all yelling the same thing. And you, would you stand up against the mob? Have you examined your heart? If your your heart was laid open, naked and bare, would we see humility and love or would we see self-preservation and pride? Is it about you or is it about Jesus? Was the universe created by him and for him or was it created by him for you? When we choose to please the crowd rather than to please God, I wonder, does Jesus recall the shame of his own nakedness on our cross? It says he endured the cross despising the shame. Which one of us likes shame? None of us. None of us. Jesus didn't like shame. But he did it for the Father. The fear of man brings a snare. But the fear of the Lord. Turn to Proverbs 14 and we'll close. Proverbs 14, 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. That sounds good. Didn't he say from your belly shall flow living waters? A healthy fear of God. That means you're keeping his commandments. You're doing the things that please him. He is your main focus. You're living according to his word and his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And a fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares. It offers escape from the snares of death. Fear of man is a snare leading to death. It's leading nowhere. All other fears. I heard Adrian Rogers preach this. I was talking to Tom out back. He said, I'm listening to Adrian Rogers. I got in my truck and I cut it on. Listen to Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers said, you only need one fear in your life. And that's the fear of the Lord. If you have the fear of the Lord, then all the other fears dissipate. They become no effect in your life. If you fear God. Fear God. Follow the King. Do good. That's, That's what... Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, This is the whole sum of life. Fear God and do right. (laughs) And here it says it's a life giving fountain. Life, 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 light, love. All the things that we want is in the fear of God. Because of Him, we are no longer slaves. To fear. And that's all I got to say about that. Well, I've preached hard here tonight. But it's a a good word. It's it's a good word. I believe I can preach hard to the older brothers and sisters in the church, which you are. You're, You're the older brothers and sisters in maturity wise. Because you're here on a Wednesday and they're not. You're ready to go to the next level. Right? Aren't you? I I know when I got saved, saved, I wanted somebody to hit me hard. I wanted to be challenged. I know some people, when you preach a hard message, then they're like, "Mm, that hurts me. I don't like that. And they want to go to it. They want to run. That's their flesh talking. Your spirit, man, is saying, lay it on me. Because the truth will set me free. Lay it on me. Because all I want to do is please God anyway. That's all I want to do. I want to love Him with my whole heart. I want to have a good, healthy fear of God and nobody else. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people do to me. How do you think they endured the lions that they were thrown to in the Colosseum, the Christians? How do you think they endured being set aflame and burned at the stake. No fear. I'm sure their their body was shaking and trembling, but their heart was steady. Their heart was stayed on thee. They kept their eyes on Jesus. They saw Him high and lifted up. He's my Lord, my Savior. If He can do it, He'll help me do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to be abased and to abound, to be content with whatsoever things I have. Jesus is all I need. He's everything I need, everything I ever wanted, and didn't even know I wanted. And when I contemplate that cross and I calculate the cost and I look, say, "Wow, that's God up there," and I'm just a worm. And He's up there for me. There's no coming back. There's no coming back from that. It will change you. Speak with God about the cross um, this week as you pray. Tell Him to give you a... a, a fresh perspective to a, a re-energizing... Uh, uh, Make it real to you again. Help me remember, never forget. I'm not here. We are not here at church just to go over some scriptures that's going to help us to be prosperous and help us to get a big house and help us to do these things and help us to be. Oh, we're not just here to be good people. We are here to be good sons and daughters. We are here to love. That is the great commandment. If we get the great commandment right, we'll get the great commission right. We won't have to beg anybody to do anything. When we go on an outreach area, y'all will be saying, "What? just tell me what time. Tell me where to show up. Because I've been thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, to the Jews first and then also to the Greeks. Somewhere in the middle of that, that's us. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word.